Have you ever received a warning? Maybe a warning from your parents. Maybe a warning from a teacher. Maybe a warning from a referee or an official on the sports field. Maybe you adults have received a warning. Maybe, maybe you were driving a little too fast and the police officer pulled you over and gave you a warning. It's the purpose of a warning. Right? What is the purpose of being warned? It's so that you don't receive the, the punishment, right? To be warned by someone is so that you don't receive the punishment, right? I was uh, thinking, you know, with, uh, with the World Cup starting next week, we will probably see a lot of warnings on the pitch, right? A lot of yellow cards, given to warn someone to stop playing badly, to stop playing in such a way that could hurt someone, not arguing with the referee. Last night I was at a soccer game, Sam's soccer game, indoor game, and um, his coach got kind of upset, started yelling at the referee, and the referee gave him a warning. And he wouldn't stop. <laughs> so he got in trouble. <laughs> Unfortunately, coaches can't be put in the penalty box. So one of the players had to be put in the penalty box. The coach was warned and he didn't stop. And punishment was handed out. This morning, we are going to read second, from 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and as we come to the end of Elijah's life, end of his ministry, Elijah is called to give one last warning. So let's read 2 Kings 1, 1 through 17, and hear the warning that the Lord gives through his prophet Elijah, one last time. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, Ahaziah fell through the lattice in the upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us. And he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is, because there is, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, 
but you shall surely die. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on top of a hill and said to him, oh man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I have a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. And the third captain of the 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men in their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word made flesh in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to your written word this morning, we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, may we hear and heed your warning, unlike King Ahaziah and those who came before him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So next week is going to be our last week in the life of Elijah when someone gets taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire that kind of ends the series. Um, really nothing left in his life to really talk about. So next week will be our last week uh, in the life of Elijah series, which we've titled, The Lord is My God. And we said that Elijah's mission from God was to live out his name, which is Yahweh is my God, and call Ahab and all of Israel to live and proclaim that same truth. And last week in chapter 21 of First Kings, Ahab decided that he wanted the vineyard of Naboth. It was next to his castle. It was a great place of property, and he wanted it. And so he offered to buy it or exchange it for one of his own vineyards. But Naboth refused on the grounds that his vineyard was his inheritance from the Lord. The physical blessing of the covenant God made with Israel, the reminder of God's covenant and promises for he and his family, when Ahab heard this, he began to have a pity party. 
And Jezebel, the queen, took matters into her own hands and set up Naboth as a blasphemer and traitor. And the punishment for such crimes was death. And once Naboth was dead, the vineyard was Ahab's. But the Lord used this incident to send Elijah and pronounce judgment on Ahab and his family. And we were confronted with the question, what is for sale in our lives? We said that whatever character Ahab had left, he sold it. Whatever sense of being the king of Israel, being different than the kings of surrounding nations, he sold it. In contrast, we see that Naboth understands the importance of his vineyard. It doesn't merely hold sentimental value, but is the physical reminder of God's covenant and promises to he and his family. And even though God pronounces judgment on Ahab and we may have decided and seen how we have sold what we have sold, we saw that while God judges Ahab and his family, this is not the end for everyone. God's judgment is not the end even for Ahab, who the Scripture says, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. Ahab heard the judgment of the Lord and repented. And we ended last week by seeing that because Jesus, the true king, Jesus, the true prophet, didn't sell his inheritance, it is ours through repentance and faith. And this, mor this morning, Ahab, we read, has died. And his son Ahaziah is now on the throne. And in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 51 through 54, we would have read this about Ahaziah. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Jeroboam was the king previous to Ahab who made Israel sin. He served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. And in our text, Elijah is given one last assignment from God before his ministry comes to an end. And this assignment is basically the same as all of the others up until this point. Now, while he pronounces judgment and death of Ahaziah, more importantly, he is once again calling the king, and by extension Israel, to repentance and to worship the one true God. The one true God. Yahweh. And Elijah delivers his life's message one last time. And in light of this, we must ask ourselves, have we heard and responded to Elijah's message, which is ultimately God's message? Have we heard and responded to this message? Message of repentance and worship to the one, of the one true God. Right, the ultimate issue that we see throughout Elijah's life isn't that Israel wanted to completely reject Yahweh. Right? On Mount Carmel, right? What is 
What does Elijah say? He said, choose one or the other. Don't continue to try to worship both. Don't continue to, you know, have Baal over here and Yahweh over here. Don't try to kind of sprinkle a little Yahwehism on top of Baalism or vice versa. It's one or the other, people. Make your choice. Elijah repeatedly proclaimed that it was one or the other. And there was only one choice, and that was Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the clash between Elijah with this belief that the Lord God, Yahweh, as supreme and the Israelite monarchy, who still relied primarily on other deities, continues in our text. Right? This is what Elijah has been doing his whole ministry, and it continues here before he is taken up to heaven. And Ahaziah is rebuked for consulting a foreign god, and his attempt to reverse this judgment pronounced by Yahweh upon him is shown dramatically when he sends the officers and the 50 men to go and to bring Elijah in. He wants to once again, try to intimidate Elijah, to try to cause Elijah to reverse this rebuke, this prophecy upon him. And this issue is still the same, as I said, as it was at Carmel. And God demonstrated by fire that Elijah was indeed a man of God and the true professor possessor and proclaimer of God's word, and that this God, Yahweh, will not share his supremacy with any other. He will not share. And out of the Lord's love for his people comes his warning. That's our main point. Out of the Lord's love for his people comes his warning. Right, over and over and over again throughout this portion of Scripture, throughout First and Second Kings, throughout the time from the point where the Israelites leave Egypt until Jesus continues that great warning out of the Lord's love for His people comes His warning. And we see this warning in four main areas, idolatry, hearing God's word, kingship, and worship. This warning that comes over and over again out of the love, out of God's love for his people comes his warning. First is idolatry, right? Ahaziah once again follows the way of his fathers and mother, follows his own path as Scripture clearly states that he continued what had been done before him, continued in the evil of worshiping Baal. And yet we see once again that God is unique, right? We've seen since chapter 17 of 1 Kings when Elijah begins his ministry that there is only one God that God is unique, 
There is no God like Yahweh because there is no God but Yahweh. What Baal can only do in mythology, the God of Israel has done, will do, all that and more in history. This idolatry, this false understanding that Baal has control in this area and Yahweh has control over here that leads to this idolatry that is expounded by this idolatry. The Lord shows over and over again that he rules Israel, Judah, Phoenicia, Syria, and Philistia in the text that we have looked at in the life of Elijah. And before the end of this book, 2 Kings, that we've just moved into, we will see that he also rules Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt. In other words, he rules the entire known world. He rules all the nations. There are no particular gods of particular nations. It is Yahweh, the God of Israel, who is the God of all nations. And if this is true, then seeking direction from other so-called gods is not only foolish, but it will bring death. Being willing to serve other gods, even if we still want Yahweh in some form or fashion, will bring destruction. We've seen this before in our texts as we've seen the life of Elijah. But brothers and sisters, what ways are we just like the people of Israel? What ways, what idols are we willing to serve, to seek out, even while we still claim and seek to worship the one true God? What are they in our life? We mentioned a few of them before. One that Jesus speaks of often is money, relationships, power, influence. And as we're reminded, even in our world, there are those who worship literal idols and may in some form or fashion have some syncretistic idea that they can serve both that, their national God or their God and Jesus. And yet, there is no other God but Yahweh. No other God but Jesus. So God warns us of idolatry once again. He also warns us that it is his word that we must seek, right? In our text, throughout the life of Elijah, in our text this morning, prophecy has risen to a new level of importance in the life of Israel. 
True and false prophecy remains a serious issue, and the true prophets of God speak his word. They adhere to the covenant of God, and they have confidence to say that if my words do not come true, then I am not a prophet. Right? False prophets we've seen may possess a hint of God's will, but eventually always lead people astray. I will not get too far into this, but in the church today, there are false prophets. And they speak false truths or direct untruths. And we must, by God's word, seek if what they speak is true. And if they, it's not true, they must not be listened to. By his word, God warns and judges the, the peoples of the earth. And when these merciful warnings are ignored, the Lord becomes Israel's judge, a role which God does not wish to play. He says over and over that he desires not to bring judgment and destruction, but that the people would hear his merciful warning and turn back to him. As one commentator states that no evildoers are too strong to oppose him. No one can deceive him nor blur his judgment by bribery. He will champion the cause of the poor and needy. His justice is perfect. His judgment's all wise. For the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant, the God who is judge is in a real sense the God who is their deliverer. Right in God's justice and his judgment, there are also those who are delivered. Those who hear his word and respond are those who the Lord will deliver no matter how evil at one time they were. No matter how much they have been the enemy of God because we have all been his enemy. He first loved us before we could love him. He also warns us in what proper kingship looks like. Now, for us today, we might say, well, we don't have a king. Very true. And yet, God gives us a vision of what the proper, proper kingship looks like, proper leadership looks like. And this proper kingship continues to be an issue throughout the life of Israel. And over time, Israel's kings embody more of Jezebel's ideals for kings than those given by Moses. Ahaziah continues that in his life. Ahab became the first of many kings to hear God's word, maybe even believe it as we saw him repent, yet refused to act on the full truth that they had been given. 
And we see this contrast in the kings of Israel between their ruling style and God's righteousness and declaration that he is Lord and this king over the whole earth. Ahab and Ahaziah remain kings only as long as the cosmic king allows. Only as long as God allows them to serve as king will they serve as king according to his word. We see the Lord shows us what proper kingship looks like. Not only in looking forward to our one true king, Jesus, who will come and sit on the throne of David and rule forever and ever, but to also give us as his people a picture of what good and right leadership looks like in our world to follow. Do those that we seek to put into office look more like those whose ruling style is of Jezebel's or more of the kings that Moses gave as a image of what the king should be and to do in relationship to the one true king. Finally, we are given a warning of worship. A warning to worship the one true God, a commitment to the Lord and his word leads us to worship. God has acted in history in a way that calls for a confession of faith. And this confession must lead to loyal, exclusive worship. You know, in fact, as we look at Elijah's life, we could argue that Israel should have been as passionate about serving and worshiping Yahweh, the one true God, as Jezebel was about serving and worshiping Baal. God alone deserves our worship. And not even sincere committed worship of another God or two gods is permitted. This type of dedication leads that we will see through the text if we continue throughout the prophets. This type of dedication of worship leads to the faith that survives even persecution and exile. Fear does not paralyze them and circumstances do not ultimately overwhelm them. Brothers and sisters, our worship prepares us for whatever we experience in this life. Elijah has over and over again tried to warn the kings and the people of Israel that what and who you worship will be foundational to what helps us in our time of need and trouble. Not merely that who we worship is the one who we know will intercede on our behalf, but who we worship leads to how we are able to survive persecution and exile in this life, to experience the heartache and hardship of this life. 
Because when those heartaches and hardships, when persecution and exile comes, the one true God who we worship never leaves or forsakes us. Baal had to be wakened from the dead to come to their aid. Our God never slumbers nor sleeps. He comes to the aid of those in need. And what the people of Israel, and I think we often don't realize, is that there are two opposite worldviews, two different ways of understanding nature, two separate notions of history, two opposing beliefs about salvation and worship that are at stake. God's Word over and over again shows us that it, when we do not worship the one true God, we do not follow Him, we are doing exactly what those in Israel did. We have two opposite worldviews, two different ways of understanding nature, two separate notions of history, and two opposing beliefs, or maybe even multiple ones. Yahweh, the God, one true God, known and, ex- and seen and experienced in Jesus Christ is God's word given to us. He is the manifestation of God's covenant relationship with us. He lived the obedience of God's word for us. He is the rightful king who rules and reigns. No other God deserves his place because there is no other God. He deserves all our worship. He is the true prophet. He is the better Elijah. He is the true priest, the one who calls down fire from heaven upon himself. He is the true king, the one who does not seek his own good and will, but the will of his father and the good of his people. Brothers and sisters, the warning today given by God is out of his love for you comes his warning. A warning to turn away from idols, a warning to turn to his word, to seek his kingship, and to ultimately worship the one true living God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, your word, Jesus, who has come, who has lived, died, and rose again. Lord, who has proven once again that there is no God but you, who reigns as our king, who deserves our worship. Lord God, may we know your great love and hear your warning. Turn in repentance and seek to follow you all the days of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.